So I am one of thousands of men and women who are standing up on stage on this Easter Sunday giving sermons. And I would argue that a large chunk of those men and women, their, their number one goal among any other goals that they might have is to not put anyone to sleep. I've only done that one time before. One time, one time I put somebody to sleep. It was super distracting. Uh, it was probably okay for them to fall asleep. It was probably the right thing for them to do. I've, I've improved since then. Um, and I think it's because I, I take preaching very seriously. I, I quite honestly treat it almost like an art form. Uh, I try to learn about it myself and then teach it to other people as well. And when I think about preaching as an art form, I think of three different things that any time that I got, get up here and, and talk, I need to like keep these three things in conversation. It's almost like a stool with three different legs coming off of it. The first one is like the actual information. So there's actually knowledge that I have to have, things that I have to study up on, whether it's history or the Bible, or there's information that has to be presented, right? And then that information has to be presented in somewhat of an entertaining way. The information doesn't mean anything if I'm not presenting it in a way that is going to draw your attention, right? So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is whether it is compelling you to do something. Uh, you might think of this as rhetoric. Am I constructing that information and making it entertaining enough to the point where you're thinking something different or you're doing something different? That's not always an easy thing to do. I don't want to suggest that I have a super hard job. Many of you probably have much more difficult jobs than I have, but it's not an easy thing to do. It's especially not an easy thing to do on an Easter Sunday, and it, I would argue that it's becoming increasingly difficult to do on an Easter Sunday as we sit here in 2023. Now, here's some of the reasons. Information. You have, whether you're aware of it or not, you have access to the full scope of written human knowledge in your pocket as we speak. Do you know this? You have this little black rectangle that if you open it up, within seconds you can ask it a question or look for information about a specific thing. It will give you that information, whether fully reliable or not, it will give you information about history, about the Bible, even much more than I could. What does it look like? How is it possible for me to deepen your curiosity and sense of awe when you have the full breadth of human knowledge literally in your hand? Then there is the whole uh, entertainment piece, right? How many different streaming services do you subscribe to? Uh, too many, right? <laughs> too many. We, we suddenly, again, in our back pockets, perhaps, it, in this little black rectangle, we have access to almost any type of entertainment at any time, from anywhere to anywhere. This is even the, the case with church. You don't have to show up at your little church in Cottage Grove if you don't like what that 
weird bald guy has to say. You can watch the best preacher from the best church from anywhere in the world to your couch. So that entertainment piece is covered as well. How are you supposed to grab people's attention when their attention is being uh, grabbed by so many different things in so many different ways? And then there is the rhetoric part, which is like the convincing of something that you have not yet been convinced of. This is where Easter is especially difficult. Because we are talking about a story where a God-man dies and then comes back from the dead. This is something that however old you are, you have probably figured out that that's not typically the way that the world works. On top of that, at one point, this story of this Jesus guy who died and came back from the dead, this was at one point a novel story that people had not heard of. We are now 2,000 years later. This is probably one of, if not the most well-known story of any stories in human history. There are a billion Christians in the world who know this story. Beyond the billion Christians, there are probably billions of other people who aren't Christians who know some of the broad outlines of this story. How do you convince people of this thing that they know doesn't usually happen when it's something that they have heard of before? How do you convince someone of something that, if true, it is shocking, but after all this time is not really that surprising? This is actually where the Bible can be extremely helpful. Now, I, I say that because of the way that we talk about and we approach the Bible here at the Grove, which might be different from the ways that you have been taught or the ways that you have approached in the past or the ways that many different people or many different uh, churches approach it. We do not talk about the Bible as if it is a roadmap that tells us exactly how to get from one place to another. That is a map. We, we do not talk about the Bible as is, is an encyclopedia that has all of that information, all of the things that you need to know. We do not talk about the Bible as if it is an answer book, right? We talk about the Bible as a collection of stories over hundreds of years that show us what the life of faith looks like in all of its messiness. And on top of that, we talk about the Bible being restorative. Now, what that means is that it was not just written in this one place 2,000 years ago to this specific audience. It means this one thing uh, for all time to all people. When we say the Bible is restorative, we believe that as we interact with it, that God is interacting with it with us, right? That it is meeting us in our place and time of need, whether that was the case 2,000 years ago or not, that it is speaking to us in this place, in this time, in our places of need. And I want you to remember that as we approach this story, as we turn to this story that you have heard before, that we have heard before. For 2,000 years, we have told this story over and over and over again. I want you to hear this story as if you are hearing it for the first time. Pay attention to the ways in which it might be restorative for you and for us today, speaking to us in our place and our moments of need. So we are going to read from this story uh, from 2,000 years ago, the, 
the resurrection of Jesus. This is coming from Matthew 28, one of the four uh, biographies about the life of Jesus. Now, after the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Suddenly, there was a severe earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were shaken and became like dead men because they were so afraid of him. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. But Jesus met them, saying, Greetings. They came to him, held on to his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee. They will see me there. So the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am guessing that you have heard this story before. Uh, this might be the, the very reason you're here today is to hear this story once again. I have heard this story and read this story and studied this story for, at this point, decades. However, as I was getting ready for Easter, as I was going to this, this story a few weeks ago, that restorative thing kicked in, and, and I noticed something for the first time, something stood out for the first time that hadn't necessarily stood out before. So we have like the broad strokes of the story that you're probably familiar with. So it is Sunday morning, these women go to the tomb, they find that the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. They're scared by that. Jesus appears to them. Jesus then tells them to go tell more people, including his disciples, his closest followers, and then they are to go and meet him. We know that. That probably all sounds very familiar, right? But here's what stood out to me. They go and meet him. And here's what Matthew says. Here's what Jesus' biographer includes in this. They go and meet him, they worship him, and some doubted. What on earth is going on here? These, these are people, these are men and women who have followed Jesus around for years at this point. They have dedicated their lives to following this man. In ancient culture, a, a, a disciple, a follower and his teacher, a, a disciple of a rabbi would follow the rabbi everywhere that he went, tried to do and emulate everything that he did. They would go to the bathroom together. That's how far they went. This is how well they knew this guy. They watched him for years. Finally, they watched as he was killed. They saw it happen. Then three days later, they're with him. 
They see that he's alive again. They have that tangible evidence right in front of them for them to touch and experience. And still, given all of that evidence to the contrary, we hear that they still doubted. Some still doubted. This gets included in our scriptures that are trying to convince us something about Jesus. How crazy is that? How wonderful is that? How comforting is that? That even Jesus' closest friends and followers in that moment when they could see him and touch him, some still doubted. The question then becomes, well, what are they going to do with that doubt? They've arrived at this place. They've listened to that. What are they going to do while they still doubt this, what is going on to their very eyes? What they don't do is they say, well, I can't believe it. This is beyond belief. This is beyond reason. Uh, they, they don't show up before this Jesus who kind of appears like he's in front of them and say, I see what's in front of me, but... Uh, I can't intellectually assent to that, so I'm going to go on my own way. No, what do they do? They show up. They still show up. They bring their baggage, they bring their doubts, and they show up expecting that maybe something might happen and that maybe some way they might be useful. And then there's Jesus. Jesus has these friends and followers who've been with him every step of the way. He died. He's in front of them now. He's got the holes in his hands, standing in front of them. They are still doubting him. He does not say, y'all, you had your opportunity. If you don't believe now, I'm done with you. He doesn't do the, the Russell Crowe uh, gladiator thing where he stands up and goes, are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? No, Jesus looks over this crowd of people, these people who have shown up with their baggage and with their doubts. And what does he do? He says, all right, okay, this is something I can work with. And these are the people that he hands over everything to. These are the people that he is going to hand over his entire mission to. And he tells them, go and make more followers like you, baggage and doubt and all, and bring this message Grow this goodness in your hometown, in your region, in your country, and around the world. This is something that I can work with because you simply showed up. Four years ago, uh, right around this time of year, I was crushed because one of my favorite authors and uh, someone who I considered a, a public truth teller named Rachel Held Evans died tragically um, she wrestled a whole lot with doubt and faith. And yet she continued to show up. And 10 years ago, this week, she released this blog post, which she called Holy Week for Doubters, that I could not get out of my head this week. And so I thought I would share it with you. I will read it, but just like when we're reading the Bible passages, it'll be up here on the screen for you to follow along. It will bother you off and on like a rock in your shoe. Or it will startle you like the first crash of thunder in a summer storm. 
or it will lodge itself beneath your skin like a splinter, or it will show up again, the uninvited guest whose heavy footsteps you'd recognize anywhere, appearing at your front door with a suitcase in hand at the worst possible time. Or it will pull you further out to sea like a riptide, or hold your head under as you drown, triggered by an image, a question, something the pastor said, something that doesn't add up, the unlikelihood of it all, the too-good-to-be-trueness of it, the way the lady in the thick perfume behind you sings up from the grave, he rose with more confidence in the single line of a song than you've managed to muster in the past two years. And you'll be sitting there in the dress you pulled out of the back of your closet, swallowing down the bread and wine, not believing a word of it. Not a word. So you'll fumble through those back pocket prayers, help me in my unbelief, while everyone around you moves on to verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, without you. You will feel their eyes on you, or you will recognize the concern behind the cheery greetings. We haven't seen you in a while, so good to have you back. And you will know they were thinking exactly what you used to think about Easter Sunday Christians. Nominal, lukewarm, indifferent. But you won't know how to explain that there's nothing nominal or lukewarm or indifferent about standing in this hurricane of questions every day and staring each one down until you've mustered all the bravery and fortitude and trust it takes to whisper just one of them out loud on the car ride home. What if we made this up because we're afraid of death? And you won't know how to explain why in that moment when the whisper rose out of your mouth like Jesus from the grave, you felt more alive and awake and resurrected than you have in ages because at least it was out, at least it was said, at least it wasn't buried in your chest anymore, clawing for freedom. And if you're lucky, someone in the car will recognize the bravery of that act. If you're lucky, there will be a moment of holy silence before someone wonders out loud if such a question might put a damper on Easter brunch. But if you're not, if the question gets answered too quickly or if the silence goes on too long, please know that you are not alone. There are other people singing words to hymns they're not sure they believe today. Other people digging out dresses from the backs of their closets today. Other people ruining Easter brunch today. Other people just showing up today. And sometimes, just showing up burial spices in hand is all it takes to witness a miracle. I have dedicated my life to this work. I've dedicated at this point decades to studying this stuff, to knowing all the most important things, to figure out how to present it in an entertaining way, to figure out how to compel people to do and act differently and yet the more that I've done this, the more that I've conv been convinced that I need to worry less about knowledge and think more about wisdom. Worry about less about having uh, all of these strong convictions, things that I'm absolutely certain of, and instead be full of wonderings. And so my wonderings today on this Easter Sunday are whether we were supposed to be or need to be convinced of all of this all of the time. 
I wonder whether that was actually what Jesus was looking for from his followers, from his closest friends. I wonder instead whether he was simply asking for them and for us just to show up. You have shown up this morning. I don't know how you are showing up this morning. I don't know what baggage, what doubts you are bringing into this room. I don't know why you're here. It could be that you are here because you are a fully convinced, fully committed Christian. You have been your whole life. And so on Easter Sunday, this is like your victory. You get to come here and celebrate this thing of which you are fully convinced. You might be here this morning because your spouse or your parent drug you out of bed and told you you had to come. You might be here because you are searching for something. There's, there's some sort of hole or opening in your life, something that you might not be fully convinced of, but there's like a crack that's there and you're looking for that possibility that that crack might be full of something. You might walk into this room full of all sorts of past pain and trauma and thinking, maybe this is a place where I can start sorting through some of that. You might be here not for the whole religious thing. You might be here this morning because you are looking for meaningful relationships, good things for your kids, and a way to contribute to the world being a better place to live. And maybe the church on a Sunday morning is the best way to do that. I don't know how you are arriving this morning, but I want to encourage you that you showed up. And you are surrounded by people who have shown up. And when Rachel Held Evans talks about saying, Trust that there are other people in those shoes. We are building, we are growing a community here in Cottage Grove at the Grove of people who continue to show up baggage and doubts and all. Some of us doubt all of the time, all of us doubt some of the time, but we are a community of people who are believers and doubters, questioning seekers and curious skeptics who continue to show up and be there for one another, who are convinced that this following Jesus thing is the best way to live, who are convinced that growing goodness is how we ought to live and move in the world. And show, so we continue to show up week after week, reminding ourselves of the resurrection, not only the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection that we continue to see in the lives of the people that we are surrounded by. So my hope, my prayer for you, for us, as we continue this Easter morning, as we go out from here, is that you will continue to show up. That you will show up for God. That you will show up for yourself. That you will show up for the other people in this room and not yet in this room. Because just in showing up, you are being witnessed to and you yourselves are a miracle. So let that be so of us today and every day.